Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 152. Um, this week we've had a little bit of a wonky week. Um, it's been uh, a little bit crazy. Um, this week we have uh, Alan from the Coffee and How's it going, Alan? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? You got to bear with me. I'll be home uh, in just a couple of minutes. I'm on the, the Branscombe Road headed to Cotto Peak. Oh, no worries. Um, we also, How are you guys doing? You got to bear with me. I'll be home uh, in just a couple of minutes. I'm on- Sorry about that. People on my end. Thought, thought I had them. <laughs> well, someone was in the chat, you know. So well, We can pick on Steve for a couple minutes till you get home. We can do that. Too. You know, because, yeah. What's well, up? We're, you know, What's we up? got our record of, of not being able to start a show cleanly going on. So, you know, that's one thing. Well, what's up with you, Roger? <laughs> uh, it's we've had some really bad thunderstorms today, and um, <clears throat> and a lot of heavy rain. And I'm just trying to uh, trying to keep my plants from getting killed. That's about it with me. Uh, everything else that's happening with me is personal and not part of the show. So, <laughs> how's it going, Tara? Hey, Tara. Hey guys, sorry, I just got back inside. (laughs) Hey you. We had a storm come in and my chickens needed to go be put away. They were like gonna be like the the door was gonna blow off because I let them free right all day pretty much. Like everybody's got a storm brewing. I mean you can't get away from them right now. Yeah, it's crazy. How are you? Been terrible over here. Yes. Oh, shoot. Oh, we had that gnarly storm on Tuesday. So, Yeah, that was cool. I mean, I had that today over here. <laughs> I, I took a video, Steve, too, so I'll show you. I, I, uh, may, I don't know, maybe later I can screen share it or something if y'all want, you know, a couple minutes. But, uh, yeah, we had one of those from the rest today, and it was pretty freaky, you know. Uh, they, you felt like you could reach up and touch the clouds if you could just jump about 50 feet, you know? So, um, what's been going on with you, Alan? Well, we're trying we to keep up with uh, Grokashi and uh, at the same time get this storefront put together for Probiotic Farmer Supply. And, uh, yeah, why don't you tell everybody about that? want to do is uh, kind of uh, bless everyone that has helped us at Probiotic uh, Farmers Alliance. And so many of us are into so many different types of organic farming, uh, yet we all seem to have a hard time finding those supplies. And so we thought we'll just open up a a store that only carries supplies for uh, biodynamic farming, aquaponic farming, probiotic farming, KNF, um, you know, there's so many different names I could use for KNF, but that's very cool. I love that idea. That's awesome. Yeah, and then we wanted to take uh, what the the methodology that I came up with originally for the probiotic wellness garden, but then uh, hook it up to aquaponics essentially. So the reservoirs would be continuously flooded with the uh, fluid from the the fish tanks. 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. We haven't had a, uh, we've done a little bit of experimentation with picking beds, but um, uh, the stuff you're getting planters. But, uh, it'd be interesting to see it done by someone that uh, actually knows what they're doing on, on that end because we, I definitely didn't at the time. So. <laughs> well, I haven't graduated past a bunch of feeder fish yet, really, but I've had uh, my setup at home hooked up uh, to one IBC with 24 uh, plants so far basically just using it uh, uh using it like a run to waste but then pumping the waste back into one ibc with a filter and the two ibcs are hooked together so i i don't have fish in the second one yet and uh but we're setting up this setup uh in our storefront so that people can walk in and the entire back wall will be covered in these planters and then they can pick their fish if they want to buy some fish hopefully it'll be catfish and bass because uh you know, we're down there in the Clear Lake area, and those are the two most prevalent fish in that lake anyway. What do you guys think? Oh, that sounds awesome. Sounds really cool. We got high temperatures, so that's why I'm definitely going with the catfish, and we'll see how the bass do. Oh, that's great. Um, so, uh, so have you tried using um, Grokashi in, uh, in aquaponics? What have your experiences been? Well, I have a standard fish food right now that I've been feeding these feeder fish. And just like any other animal, we're, we're adding Grokashi at about uh, in roughly 10% to the feed. So the Kashi goes in the water and it's we, we've been using it at a, uh, our local feed store and other places to keep the algae down and uh, the water uh, clarity. It really helps with the water clarity also. So it's kind of the same as using, you know, effective microorganisms uh, in water for, for uh, fish or shrimp or any of the accepted, uh, you know, ways that it's used. That's really cool. People using this for shrimp as well. Say that again, Steve. Oh, I said people are using it for shrimp as well. Well, that technology, yeah, the EM technology is used in the uh, Asian Pacific, uh, the manual, the Apnan manual for aquaculture uh, there. So we're just uh, using the same thing here. Guys, give me about two minutes to get out and open this gate and I'll be back with you. So uh, what else is new with your garden there, Tara? As far as my garden, I have just been working out getting all the thistles. I understand that uh, russet mites like thistle. So I have been making sure there is no thistle around my grow. <laughs> so I have been out pulling weeds. And today, I took it easy though today. My back was a little bit bothering me from yesterday. So, but uh, yeah, so just trying to get all that straightened out i think i have some males that are showing unfortunately so yeah and um but it's good that they're showing right because then i'm gonna at least get them all sexed out and i'll be able to get my grow on and um but uh kaya you know uh pacific northwest roots and kaya's coffee he's invited me over to that k and f class this weekend to do a live and so I'm trying to figure out how to get over to that. So I might be headed over to see Kaya now. <laughs> Pretty awesome. excited. <laughs> that 
that's sweet. Uh, Kaya's awesome. I had a blast hanging out with him in Vancouver. So, yeah. yeah that would be awesome to get to spend some more time with him and see his farm. Oh, I haven't got to see that yet. And yeah, I love seeing this Pacific Northwest guys. I'm so excited just to visit all these Pacific Northwest farms. It's so awesome. Uh, what cultivars are you growing these days? You know, I have one of everything out there. <laughs> it's a mix. Uh, I'm hoping my super lemon haze is going to at least pull out one male or one female, excuse me, not a male. Uh, I, I have a, I have some Northern lights out there. I'm hoping at least to get one, one female would be nice. Um, and I have all those, I got so many that lemon pine tar from Cora seeds. I, I met them down at Humboldt and then I got to see them again at the cultivation classic conference and talk to him some more and that lemon pine tar sounds amazing i'm really hoping that i get a female on that um purple punch or something's another one from them that's supposed to have like a purple characteristic which i'm really excited to grow uh alan's back hey guys can you see behind me there you go. Yeah, we can see it. But you, when you want us to see something, you really have to hold the camera still like you tried there for a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we can I'm see your face around. That's how Chris was last week. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. So what else this is I growing? I don't know what other ones. Go ahead, Alan. Moving on. <laughs> What I do is I run a private nursery here in Laytonville too for <coughs> growers that want clones kept. Sometimes we get some sticker plants sent to us, but we're using the uh, the same method that we've talked about to hey, go ahead. Alan, I just want to let you know that it's really pixelated. You have to move the camera super, super slow and try and keep it in one spot. Just so you know, I just want you to know that just for your quality of picture. Sure. So what, um, what methodology is that? I want you to uh, refresh us on that. Well, we're just using the, uh, we're using the IBCs with the fish, obviously, and then pumping the fluids through into the earth boxes and then recapturing the fluid putting it back in the second tank just so that there's a bit of a, a filtration that occurs before the water goes back in with the fish that's awesome that's really cool yeah so i don't know if you guys saw the video that we had with um Kevin Dawry first came up with the methodology for the probiotic wellness garden, but we feel that we've been offering us a, a kind of a epigenetic gene therapy for these plants that are sick. And uh, he worked with the plant pathologists, and we got uh, that King Louis 13 cut, which uh, was su suffering from a tomato mosaic virus. We grew it out of it, and, and that's, uh, 
that's just about impossible. I mean, they had a stick rate of uh, with clones of maybe one in a thousand, and we got it almost up to a perfect stick rate just through what we figure is nutritional therapy and allowing the mycelium and the mycelial mat to dictate most of the nutrients delivered to the plant. And so now we've hybridized that, and instead of just having the EM uh, activated EM or Grokashi tea running through the reservoirs, we're going to bring in the aquaponics and start pumping the fluid, like I said, from the aquaponic tanks through the reservoirs and see what we get. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works out. So why don't you... I've got uh, some pretty rare cuts here right now. What, what do you got in there? Or what do you got? I just popped some of the original cherry pie kush seeds uh, that I had from uh, when Burner got that cut for me. And uh, so I have the original stuff that I had sent into Phylos. We'll, we'll see how that ends up. But, Ooh, the dirty word. Okay. Well, we did that originally to, because we never told Burner when, when we gave him the cherry pie kush, we didn't tell him what the genetics was. And so when he renamed it, you know, as cookies. We, we told them that's, you know, we've already submitted this for the genome project. And so you guys are, you're going to, you're going to look pretty silly because you don't know what the male was. You, we told you we had uh, the cherry pie, but we didn't, we didn't tell them which, which kush cut we used at all. And I shouldn't even say we, it was a, a friend of mine that had, had uh, bred it, you know, and he had bred the uh, cherry pie with the Pakistani citrus. <laughs> so that's why the cookies look so much like a PCK plant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Still there? Distorted that. Yeah. 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 yeah, we're I guess we're all contemplating on your you know uh, I think we're having a little lag going on now. What uh, what other cuts do you have? You know, um, we've got some bubble gum mixed with uh, what they're calling ice cream cake. And uh, I could probably walk you through. Um, Rainmaker OG. I, I like to work with a lot of OGs. I'm a fan of Mersin. Um, no one ever complained that, to me that the weed got them too stoned. <laughs> you know, when that's all they did was grow. So, I'm also a fan of one-to-one uh, -one CBD cuts. Like this was just delivered to me here. We'll see if we can get her back into health, but this is called Pledge. I guess I can show that to you right now because later on you'll get to see it again. Working with the tomatoes and all of it. There's a Chem Dog OG from Mendo Seeds. There's a Cherry Pie Kush from Seed. <laughs> Try finding that from Seed. Yeah. <laughs> Another one, Rainmaker OG, two or three of them, six of them actually. And now we're just doing these. Here we've got a, what's called bubblegum cake. She got a, looks like she was underwatered here. When she got delivered to us, we're about to go ahead and plug her into the system. Um, Sunday Driver, it's a heavy duty cush plant. 
bubble gum, cake. And that's about what we're working with right now. I only work with two or three specific growers, and I just pull their genetics and try to refresh them, you know, using a good wholesome organic methodology that uses probiotics so that we're, we're really much more into competitive exclusion than using poisons. We just out and eat in the soil any problematic microbes or funguses that we might have by regularly inoculating the soils with the Grokashi. And, um, so. and, and Grokashi is a species of Lactobacillus, correct? Or is that not correct? Grokashi is a wide-ranging consortium of microbes and indigenous microbes. So we don't even really hardly test it to try to find out everything that's in it because seasonally, you know, I mean, the, the organic hard red wheat brand that we used is Mennonite grown. So who knows what IMOs are coming in on it. And then our organic beets that we juice as a, a sugar source for our uh, solid state fermentation. Who knows what microbes are coming in on the beets because most beets are inoculated nowadays, you know, even if they are organic. And then we've got different microorganisms that come in on our, um, we use a human grade multivitamin mineral complex and full of other microbes and trace minerals and called Beyond Tangy Tangerine 2.0. So we've got more species coming in there. Um, we don't try to make any claims, you know, other than really just call it a, a prebiotic because that we can prove that the trace minerals and all are there. I mean, we use about four times the EM1 than the recipe at Terragonics or Emro calls for. And this whole consortium, all, all these ingredients were just vetted and decided on uh, years ago in the Probiotic Farmers Alliance when they were the Grokashi beta test group. So are you basically saying you're making a tea using Grokashi as one of the inputs in this tea? Well, I mean, if you're using beets and all this other stuff, I mean, what are you calling all that? What you're Because it's not all Grokashi. You're using Grokashi along with beets and other things. So no, Grokashi is the final product. It's a solid oh, okay. state fermentation. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a gro Okay. See, I didn't get that. But nobody said that. Okay. It's a, a Grokashi is a bokashi but like a dream blend like i got with uh, my friends a lot of them were top breeders and uh top growers in the emerald triangle and elsewhere and we when i got in the bokashi business i i was i wanted to know okay growers my friends if you wanted to make a dream bokashi let's start talking about what inputs we would put into it Okay, thanks. I think more people, more more people out there, will be able to follow what what's going on now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm a I'm a kid who came. Uh, I have a dairy background. All um, right. You know, we I was in the silage business uh, from the time that I was about twelve until I was around thirty. And uh, my dad and I, we covered silage pits all over the West Coast, California, and Washington State. And uh, when we finally sold out in the silage business, 
I took what I knew uh, and that I had learned, you know, from uh, from animal feeds, and uh, I had a non-compete, you know, in the in that market. So uh, I just took what I knew and said, well, you know, this I know this makes uh, equally as good um, soil amendment, and so we we put together this Bokashi blend that's become very popular. Cool. So, so cool. tell us more about solid state fermentation. It's the, the term I haven't heard before. Well, solid state fermentation would be a fermentation uh, of a solid material like uh, the, the material that we're inoculating here is the wheat bran. Uh, it's an, or an organic uh, hard red winter wheat bran. So my fermentation is way back more toward like a Russian heritage. If you were to make a, a tea out of Grokashi, it would make an excellent Russian kvass. You know, the lactic acid bacteria beverage. You, you could think of it as a starter almost for that, that beverage. Hmm. Wow. So all the state fermentation, you would take the dry substrate and you would bring your moisture level up to 60% plus and you would mix it thoroughly and then you would pack it either in a side pit or in this case now in a food grade barrel and then you would seal it with either uh, the plastic cover like we used in the dairy industry or in this case you know in the barrel we seal it in the barrel and uh, we give it a couple weeks for the fermentation uh, to finish when the pressure goes away we know it's done and then we go ahead and we professionally dry it so that it's, uh, it could be stored you know, for many, many years in the dry state. That's awesome. How do people use and apply it? You know, um, it's used to have a little uh, remineralization and, uh, of the soil regularly throughout the season. And, uh, you know, of course, um, we all know it is uh, probiotic microorganisms because we see the white buzz and we see everything that we're excited, even if we just let it in a dish and cover that dish, you know? So it, in a way, that's how I proof it, you know, on the batches to make sure that it's alive and doing well. And uh, so you top dress it in uh, every couple weeks because I give you, uh, you know, two weeks for the trace minerals in each top dressing. So we found if we come back in and we use it every couple weeks until about halfway in the flower, um, it provides prebiotics to keep your probiotics super happy and well-fed and so that the immune system on the plant is just operating, at, in my opinion, at, at, at its zenith. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I, I know I've definitely had a lot of great luck using it both in compost teas and then putting it directly into our soil mixes for our upper soil layers and our dual root zone uh, to inoculate that that soil from, you know, from the beginning. Um, and it's worked well. Um, we had One thing we find is that when we uh, have people start using a product like this, uh, which is a compost accelerator, we're going to need to increase our use of compost also. You know, the old adage of, you know, 
you're going to need more cow mag. It's really true in this, for instance, you know, when you speed up the growth of a plant, you're going to need more of those trace minerals than you are typically used to using. So, um, uh, someone, someone asked, uh, uh, if you know if EM1 was purchased by uh, recently, they haven't seen them in the, any of their local shops in some time. No, I haven't heard anything about that. I was your representative uh, in the cannabis world and on the West Coast for Terraganics, which is the licensed uh, retailer for EM1 here on the West Coast. I resigned at that position so I could work with more microbial companies than just EM1, but I haven't heard of any acquisition of EM1 and I haven't had any supply chain uh, problems getting the product because uh, it's the main component in Grokashi. Okay, cool. Good to know. Um, we have someone else asked, does anyone, does EM1 have any negative effects on aquaponics? No, I, it's very good. It's very beneficial. It's, it's something you should do. Just don't ask friendly aquaponics, right, Steve? Yeah. If yeah. you, I don't know who asked that question, but if you read the article on friendly aquaponics, it like talks about how effective microorganisms, microorganisms destroyed their crop and all this other bullshit. Then you can private, <laughs> you can message me privately, and I'll explain to you why that article is bullshit. So, it, hey, buddy. there was a. Mm -hmm. I would add one thing if we're talking about affecting microorganisms is that uh, in commercial crops like onions, if we continue past uh, into the flowering stage of the onion, it will not ripen. And so when I was doing the methodology patent and, and such and having the garden groups come through probiotic wellness garden we were sitting here well past christmas in a greenhouse and we still did not have a single amber or even milky trichome on a wide range of cannabis cultivars so my advice is cut off the use of the em1 or the grokashi halfway into flower and the and everything will ripen properly well that's basically the way you do with anything uh, most organic growers cut off everything and last after four weeks or so in flower i mean I, all the super soil guys all do that so that's common sense in gardening like we're doing you know i've been doing but it's good to know that with these editors because people get carried away when you're adding something and think they need to keep adding it and then you're you're saying cut it off too so basically it can be used up and it won't keep and it'll allow, in your case, uh, you're talking about allowing to ripen. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, common sense in agriculture doesn't really always follow over into common sense in cannabis. <laughs> but we're trying. we're trying. That's why, that's why we do the show. We're trying, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, I deal with so many uh, brewers and things, and, and we... We epigenetics, uh, you know, uh, plant epigenetics to them. And one thing that I laugh about is that, you know, we get so many people, genetics companies and things. But then when we go and we audit grow rooms, you know, or things like that, we find that typically uh, when it comes to indoor grow rooms, would you believe me when I told you that 80% of indoor grow rooms have light leaks? So imagine the nightmare that is for a genetics company. 
that people are reporting back in, oh, you know, because there's been almost nothing stabilized over the last 10 years. So all these hybrids, small, light leaking, and indoor, you know, you're going to run into herd problems and things like that. Uh, they, they don't look at their own room. They blame the seed company or the genetics. Yeah, and we but we talk yeah we talked we talked about that several times in the past few weeks about that same situation what causes the Hermes and all and like you say there's a, there's a reason for stabilization but there's also an argument for not stabilizing to to look for different uh, traits but Steve has wanted to say something I see so I'm gonna I'm gonna use lights from power strips or control panels or like anything you know uh, indicator lights for various things. You know, they all need to have a little tiny black cloth cover with a little piece of tape on duct tape on it. If you want to be super simple about it, you can go more complex, but shit for the, for the cost of a roll of a piece of cloth and a roll of duct tape, you can eliminate all of those in any grow room, you know? So, yeah. Uh, the cookies controversy was completely started over me being gone. Uh, on a vacation to Hawaii and having one of my employees take down some insulation between two 12-hour uh, rooms that were offset and ended up seeding the cherry pie kush. It all started because of light leaks. So I have a question. My light leaks. Do, you, do you think that it's like they just overlook it or they're just getting lazy? Like they don't, or maybe they don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, what do you think's happening out there in the industry? If that's if this is really the case, what do you think's happening? I think people just get lazy. We all, you know, it happens when we when we do well, we tend to party, and when we do well, we don't do well. We tend to ponder, and when we're pondering, is when we figure shit out. And you're sitting back going, what happened to the room? And then finally you go, hey, wait a minute. One of the first things I learned is go sit in the dark room for 30 minutes and see if I can see any leaks. But, you know, once people start making money, they don't really do that anymore. And then you don't really under you don't really think for any minute at time that it's your air conditioner or the light on your air conditioner now. I haven't seen this particularly happen with me, but I do agree with what Steve says. And yeah, when you, like you said, if you went and sat in your own grow room, you would definitely notice that there's light in there if there is, you know, and whether it be from a light um, the ballast or an air conditioner, dehumidifier or anything else, you know, no, that just could be if it's there, you know. Caulking so drawing up or tape, tape separating and letting some light in from outside, it can be so many factors cat got in the grow room and climbed the walls so now the window you had blacked out has holes in you know so i'm sorry tara wants to say something and i, I know she's gonna burst if i don't let her so well, just, just another question about that because i grow outside right so we talk about light leaks so what about like um other people going outside if they have like a light that's on by them or a night you know like a house light or something like that i mean how much does that really affect it? And then, like, so what about the other ones that have to have lights on because of, like, security now, because of all the commercial stuff, right? Okay. On that subject. And it's just a rule of thumb, and it's not completely accurate, but it's pretty close. You know, you have, what, under a 1,000-watt sodium bulb, you might, if it's new, have, what, like 4,500 lumens, right? 
And so outside here in California, I might have 150,000 or more. And so what I was told is that it takes a certain amount of percentage, like around 10% or under, and that free out the plant. So uh, in nature, a moonlit night doesn't freak out a plant. But that moonlit night or a streetlight is nowhere near the amount of lumens that it, the plant was receiving from the sun. But on an indoor room, a pinhole or a light strip is enough proportionately to plant that because seeing actually very little light, you know, from the lighting system you would use it for. Not only that, it's uh, the it's light penetration. So, I mean, you could equate what you're saying and add that light penetration has something to do with it. Because the light strip is like two feet from the plants and the moon is way. So just like a high pressure sodium only penetrates into the canopy so far. If you move that high pressure sodium like a light on the street through 200 feet away, I think isn't that what you're saying? I mean, that's what I'm thinking, uh, and that's what I think anyway. Because yeah, there is the moon, and he touched on the moon, and Terry didn't ask him about the moon, but it's the same. It's the old moon argument. Why doesn't the moon make them hermy? And it's I think it's all to do with the intensity of the light penetration, how deep the light, you know. So. Yeah, you know, I was dealing with uh, many, many friends and people who had light depths here, especially in the Emerald Triangle. And one thing lots of light depths have in common is you, when, if you go into it when the sun is up, there's pinholes all over the place. And so I asked my friends who had been growing for many years, I said, why, why aren't you running into problems from these light leaks? And they said it's simply uh, proportional, that there's not enough light coming through a couple pinholes in the light depth to really cause them a lot of problems because of the amount of sun that the plant receives, you know, when it covers all. And it, it seems to, you know, it seems to ring true. Let's put some flex seal on it. <laughs> there you go. Little duct tape. <laughs> Takes it right out. Duct tape. Flex seal and duct tape. You're Electric right. tape are even cheaper, man. Electric tape on the net. I use three M uh a uh, weather strip team and another piece of plastic. <laughs> Spare no expense. <laughs> yeah. I do think genetics has a big thing to do with it too, in terms of, you know, there's, I, I've had the same genetics in the, in the same room and very genetics. And I think that, you know, especially when people go to commercial and maybe don't fully understand, you know, like maybe they've only grown clones from one person uh you know the entire you know the only time they've ever grown anything and then when they go to scale and you have to have like you know 800 plants when you're only used to getting like 50 um you know that's another time when things start to slip away from you you know it it's uh um you don't you don't understand if you're if you're doing clones versus uh 800 different phenotypes because you pop 800 seeds and now, because somebody told you on the internet that it, you'll yield better if you grow seeds, and, and then you have feminized seeds and stuff you've never ran before. And so, you know, I do think that there's there's some genetics that, um, and I and Mr. Green Jeans was talking about this in one of our many genetics discussions, and that 
you know, your, your plant has to have the characteristics to herm under light stress if it's going to herm under light stress at all. So, you know, it kind of goes back to what Alan was saying about there not really being any like really stabilized genetics recently. And, uh, you know, some of those variations well, you know, might come back to bite somebody. I'll say this. Name one cultivar now that has been stabilized in the last 10 years. Well, like maybe I know hard, it's hard to answer, huh? Well, what's, isn't he working on? He's been working on. Uh, hard to answer, but there's probably an answer. We just that's a quick one. I'm gonna go with like I think it's Mendo Breath that Art has been working on for a while. That's like the only person I could think of that's really like Our making a significant Our effort to stabilize anything. Harlequin might be that old. Wade's been working that for a long time. Yeah. I couldn't hear you very well, Steve. Did you say Harlequin? That's Harlequin's clone only, though, right? No. No, no. Hmm. I have uh, disputing so. information. Anyway, I think Alan's point is there's not a lot of them. <laughs> no. You could probably count. Yeah, because a lot of us started growing in the golden age of cannabis where we had a lot of different cultivars highly stabilized and could teach, you know, beginners to grow with them. And it was very hard for them to screw it up. But nowadays, we've got so many high-end hybrids that you really had better be a good grower if you're going to grow, try to grow some of these different plants, you know, and not have problems. You better have all your ducks in a row. I think that's what's landed itself that the uh, feminized seed industry's grown so big because that takes a lot of that guesswork out. Because you're kind of talking about, I would have to say, you're really saying this about if you get a pack of seeds from your friend, they're regulars. You have to sex them, and you have to pick out and call the good, you know, call the weak ones and keep the good ones or whatever like that, right? I mean, because today, if you have feminized seeds, it's kind of taking that part of taking part of the what you really need to be a good grower out of it, you know, because you're kind of like you were saying, uh, or Marty was saying about. Uh, You've been growing this way indoors with you've been spoiled because your friend gave you clones or great genetics all your years. Now you're going to go commercial and grow 800 to 1,000. And suddenly you've got 50 cultivars or 100 cultivars instead of one or two or three that you were excellent with in your house or in your backyard garden. And suddenly it's a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're going to a commercial scale and you're growing anything that you haven't flowered before, you're you're basically rolling the dice, you know, like that's what it comes down to. Like you should already have if, you, if you're starting out to grow and you haven't already flowered whatever you plan on going with at, on some test level or a previous run or whatever. I just think that, you know, it's kind of a kind of a crapshoot. I look at a rich guy the other big problem is that a lot of states have that, you know, you have that first month or three months that you have to get all your seeds into your system and grow them at least once. So 
and you know if you've grown them at least once you can keep them around if you got a clone or two and not have to worry about right you know when they come in with regulations so um you know that's actually what we did we took a, not all of our stuff but we took maybe 40 percent of the stuff that we have available and um we uh we're doing some seed sifting um we're looking at different stuff we have it's pretty obvious which ones are the males if you look at the video i posted today i did a little live video from the grow um it's pretty comical that that there's a male healer that's a one-to-one -one cbd to thc and it is just enormous it's just huge um compared to everything else that was germinated at the same time it's, it's kind of comical so we're gonna flower him out and get some pollen from him in a tent and keep him nice and uh separated but uh a couple of the other nice boys that we're gonna we're gonna separate and flower out separately but um yeah but uh we have a whole bunch of strains that we've grown and then maybe about 30 percent that we haven't um that came you know well recommended so we'll see how that goes and you know i know that uh we have a really bizarre amazing phenome of a g13 hash plant that is just spidery and super bushy and i am just incredibly excited to get growing in uh in the greenhouse under actual sun uh, it's currently under an sk600 and it looks amazing but uh we're gonna get it get it under uh the greenhouse in another few weeks uh, we just got the last parts of the the full cells that we needed that's all getting put up in the next couple of days and then we'll start putting in plumbing there's going to be a lot of construction happening Again, so a lot of cool pictures coming up soon in the next couple of weeks. So we definitely look forward to that if you guys are looking to see uh, more construction photos. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, Al Alan, are you back? Are you back? I think he's uh... sure. I just wanted to check, you know, because I'm not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe my camera's not on. I see me over there. Oh, no, well, what happened was you, the last statement you made, the whole thing you were trying to explain to us uh, just broke up into the, you know, when there was, un, it, we couldn't understand you, and then you kind of went away, and then your picture came back up. Yeah. So if you want no, to... maybe I'm have a signal problem. No worries. You, no, no, uh, no worries. You, might, you might check your battery. If your battery's running low, it also does that. Well... I was more talking about we wanted to know what you were saying is what I was asking was what you were last saying before, you know, then Steve started explaining about it out there in Oklahoma. Before that, we couldn't understand what you were saying and you were giving us some information. So that's what I was hoping to, if you could um, regurgitate what you just said to us last, if you remember what we were talking about, you know, at the end of the genetic. You know, not every home grower has it in them to go with uh, the need to have managerial skills. If you can't work yourself and you can relate to your employees and have them do what you can, you'll not be successful. That's what I say. Oh, cool. All right. All right. So we're all back up on, on up to speed. All right. So do we have any questions in, in chat for Alan? Any of you folks that have a good eye on the chat there? What about Marty? I know Marty's always got good 
good questions for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a couple for him. Uh, first, yeah. first one, I know you started to set up an aquaponics system. How far have you gotten? Oh, um, it's full of goldfish. <laughs> and it's hey, that's a start. Up, uh, yeah, so it's, I, I pump uh, about um, probably 5% of the fluid and see through the plants daily, circulate it into uh, another tank, filter it, and then put it back into the, uh, the fish tank. We're trying to use as little water as possible. Awesome. That sounds cool. And then I also know you guys are um, getting ready to open your first store, right? Did you guys already talk about that? A little bit, yeah. In Clear Lake, California, we'll be opening the very first uh, fire supply. And we'll awesome. be carrying uh, products uh, from uh, Cascade and I work together on many products. Uh, Soil King of uh, We'll be carrying uh, products that uh, are being for biodynamic farming and for probiotic farming. And we're hoping to, uh, to have it set up to where all the local people that need products for aquaponics and their supplies there too. If they use store, uh, we're just trying to grow it on everything you would need uh, support that. Well, you kind of broke up there at the end, but I got most of it, and that sounds great. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great resource for a lot of like all those different you know types of growing that uh, are starting to spur out of all you know all the different we call them regenerative growing techniques, I guess. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to have, you know, just anything like that start anywhere because hopefully it'll spread and we'll, we'll, maybe we can get one here in Southern Oregon. That'd be great. We'd love that. We'll make sure that there, yeah, and I'm sure Steve will make sure there's a link to all that information so everybody can find out, the, you know, how to get there and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So... Um, you've uh, been running one of the bigger um, uh, probiotic Facebook groups for a long time. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Well, um, I was looking into starting a Bokashi business, and when I looked into it, I found that it, you know, uh, the science was there but it had never taken hold here in America. And so I thought, well, I'll use the Lean Startup, you know, the book, and uh, to start this. And the first thing that I read was, you know, start a beta testing group so that you can figure out what the hurdles were with the product or the technology that, that hadn't been overcome. And so that was the Grokashi beta test community. And over years, it, a, after we figured out what we wanted in our Grokashi, um, we decided what we wanted to call our group. And so it morphed into the Probiotic Farmers Alliance. That's where we're at today. 
awesome. Uh, and what are some of the different resources that you have there in the file section? You guys got all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, there's, I, I couldn't even scratch the surface of what's available in there. Some of the things that, are, um, that I'm happiest with are the ability of like the FNAN manual on how to use effective microorganisms, you know, the Asian treaties on uh, how they decided that they would uh, acceptably use these technologies. Uh, there's always different books and PDFs. And one of the first things I did with Grokey is uh, we, we wanted to be open source. And so if you went into the files area there, you would, for instance, uh, the directions and the ingredient list to make your own Grokashi. We, we didn't want the price point to be a hurdle. If, if you didn't have the money, we wanted you to be able to go and make the product yourself. We wanted the product to not its own two feet. And, you know, I think one of the things that made us as popular as we have is that we also teach critical thinking. So it helps us to overcome um, a lot of the problems other groups have with people coming in and trying to products that aren't scientifically backed in any way or don't provide side-by-sides and such. We lose them. Lose it again. Oh, no, there you go. Steve, you're muted. There you go. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. A few technical difficulties tonight. It's all right. Um, are there any other questions for Alan? Well, I want to say I thought it was pretty neat, um, you know, uh, what you put together. And you definitely fit into the regenerative organic um, you know, natural farming category for sure. You know, and I, and I heard you said I was up for walking around for a minute, uh, but I heard you, you said uh, about how you shared what you're doing because some people just can't afford to buy, you know, things, but so you shared your ideas with people. And I think that's extremely commendable. And I, you know, again, part of that same community, you fit right in. Yeah. Good man. I appreciate that. I'm just trying to make my granddad's proud. Well, thank you for the file section. Oops, sorry. Go ahead, Marty. I was going to say, it, it just spread through the file section. You can see, you know, so many other people just, uh, you know, uploading. And a, a lot of times, some people's, you know, years worth of work and methods that they develop that they share for free in there, with, you know, all, in my opinion, you know, with, with a tone set by by you, not only releasing what the ingredients are, but also, you know, the ingredients list, including the exact method and description of how to make it and, you know, the amounts of everything. So there's a, you know, there's a lot to be said for sharing that kind of information. And then in, in, uh, in a reaction back, you got so much just information now that's stored up there it, it was turned out to be a great investment i think very well said 
Yeah. In other words, you're saying, yeah, you threw it out there for free and everybody took it on and now you're getting all this feedback from all these experiments that basically everybody that took your ideas and experimented with, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, um, kind of, but also even just other, you know, other growing techniques. I mean, there's so much stuff now in the file section when you go through it, everything from composting methods to oh, growing yeah. to light you know uh information on different types of lights you know like there's just i like yeah. like alan was saying that's that's not even scratching the surface it's so many files so much information that you know really was all you know again a, a tone set by alan by uh by releasing all of that and and having the the spirit of the group to be to be critical thinking and advancing knowledge um, and so I think that it's it's done a lot for that. So you should be proud. I think that there's two or three things that could save humanity. Um, humans die again to have the cognitive fitness necessary uh, to survive, and really down. They really think critical thinking out of the school system. And it also, you know, if you're going to develop product, you have to have everyone involved, capable of thinking. Um, one thing, I, sometimes I'm not so popular with some of the guys because, in my opinion, a lot of them are kind of sociopaths. So, one, you get yourself thrown out of probiotic farmers alliance very quickly. You just come in there and start using logical fallacies. And that group will come together like robotic microorganisms, circle you, I'll teach you, throw you out of the group. I'd throw you out of the group if I were a guy. Alan, I'm sorry, but you really sound like a robot. But you're I'm sorry. It's yeah. just a connection, that's all. Yeah, the connection is just like um is there, can you get closer to a Wi-Fi or maybe um, uh, reconnect on the Wi-Fi maybe? I'm sorry. I just don't want you to miss out. I, you have all this great stuff you're seeing and I don't want people to miss out. <laughs> well, I was wondering if maybe you're too far away from the phone too, just that yeah, possibly. Yeah. No, that's not, it's, it's a connection. Can you hear me better now? That's a little better, yeah. Okay, we'll try that. Okay, cool. Right. So anyway, what I was saying is that's why we teach logical fallacies and critical thinking. So that if someone, a sociopath or a psychopath comes into our group and tries to disrupt the group or hog the spotlight, they get shut down. That's the way it is today. Yeah. That's what disrupts most groups, in my opinion. It's the people that are willing to share, and, and, and the reason that everybody in the groups that I'm involved in, they all share openly in hopes of getting feedback, you know, so they learn in, in themselves about their own product. Or in our case, we've got some guys that are breeders that are just phenomenal old school breeders that we get to talk to. And it's the same way. They give out their seeds. They don't charge you for the seeds. They give them to you because they want to know what you'll do to them and, br and bring back to them. 
you know, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying with your product or anyone else that shares the information you were willing to share to allow people to do it their own way. Cause then they're going to adapt just like the plant adapts they're, and the human adapts. They're going to adapt whatever you give them to do it their own way. You know, whether they, well, I do half of it or, you know, whatever it is, it's simple. It could be as simple as that. Well, I do it only use half of that. You know, okay. Well, that's what they decided. Uh, you can't control that, but you can get the feedback on it. You know, like, well, it, I used half of it and, you know, I was really happy, you know, whether it would measure up the same way side by side, we don't know, you know, but the thing is, is in the end, if it's healthy and people are happy with the product or the method you're teaching, you know, and you share it and you get feedback on it like that. That's all that sounds like what you're, that's the whole purpose of sharing it aside from being a humanitarian, you know, right. So. I believe more in the humanitarian side of this because I honestly believe that we're going to have great food shortages during our lifetime. Now you're on my same page because I think the shit's going to hit the fan. The light's going to go out. And if you don't know regenerative organic growing and the way to use indigenous materials to allow you to make uh, ferments and stuff to grow, you will not be able to eat. You will be forging or you will be robbing or, you, you know, so yes. I, wow. I, yeah, I'm going to have to go read some more of your stuff, man. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. I, I see you were ready to jump in, Bubba, but I had to say that. Good. No, I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why I'm looking at like putting in one of those new Tesla walls at my new place, start being able to beef up my battery capacity. And uh, even though I don't, I won't have an electric car. I want to, I want to work on some different ways to be able to power lots of stuff off of one of those things. And, uh, yeah, I got a lot of hillside to work with now, so it'd be fun. But I, I do think, I do agree that within our lifetime, there'll be serious infrastructure issues, food, power, you know, city water. I mean, that's already the case in a lot of urban areas, you know, that still have lead pipe. <clears throat> I mean, if you can't drink it and they don't recommend you wash with it, what are you, what are you supposed to do with it? You know? Get the hell out. Get yeah, the hell out. That's what I've always said. It's pretty sad here in our own country. We don't even have safe enough drinking water for everybody coming out of your tap. I'm and lucky. We are on a second aquifer in a well. Like I, I realize how lucky I am because we travel too. a lot. And it's some of that water out there. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. Yeah, we, well, let me, ask, let me ask you something. Since you're traveling, do you notice what I noticed? When you're taking a shower in a hotel room, what does that shower smell like? Chlorine, right? Ammonia. And when it becomes a steam, what are you inhaling? So, so many people out there are actually inhaling chlorine gas when they're showering it daily. I like you. I'm very lucky. I have millions of gallons an hour rolling by me, and I own the water here on, the, <laughs> on my property at the farm. So, I can charge my batteries with, with water, and, but I'm lucky. And, you know, you get spoiled when you have that. Good water. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. 
I, I just said, you see, that's my dream is to live on. A, you got hydropower? Yeah, I have, um, I have artesian wells that come out of the mountain just above me on the next property. Oh, well, that'll work. And so my, yeah. yeah, my water is about 10,000 years old that, that I use. Oh, I was thinking when you said you had to, well, see, you could, to me, you could take the flow since you had, it's higher. You could take it to flow down, gravity down through, and turn generators that will produce electricity. I do. I have water wheels with uh, marine alternators on them. Okay, hydropower. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. My property was the California Conservation Corps fire camp for wayward kids through the 1960s. And when the lease ended, I bought the property from the old couple that owned it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like one of the coolest places in California to live. Lefty. Oh, I'm very, very lucky. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I own the water on this property in a grant deed all the way back to Ulysses S. Grant. Um, and so that's why uh, I feel like we can do experiments with aquaponics and things here. Um, that we can't do in most locations simply because of water rights. Uh, all my neighbors and I have actually been able to run fish and wildlife off of our properties. Uh, if they're not chasing an animal that was poached, they have no jurisdiction on our properties any, any longer. And it's simply because they came onto our properties one too damn many times and pointed guns at us. Wow. So now it's, you, you got that take, that legality taken care of. And now you've, you've really got a, that sounds like a, I don't know, an oasis. Sounds like yeah. a. What, yeah. what specific area are you actually in? I know you're in California, but I don't know that I heard the first part. And do you really want uh, to tell anything? Where are you saying? I don't know. Uh, well, I'm, in, I'm in the Cotto Peak area. Yeah. Uh, of Mendocino, California. At uh, an altitude Ooh. of about fourteen hundred feet, where I'm sitting. Oh wow, cool! That's nice. Nice. Get up above the marine layer, then, right? Yeah, cool. I, I have a forty-five hundred foot peak right between me and the ocean. So, oh. uh, my next door neighbor is a big vineyard, massive polluter, but a big vineyard, and uh, yes. uh, the weather goes. Peak. The peak makes the weather pattern go around us, so we're in a crazy, uh, a crazy banana belt region. It's one of those places that probably, when the big quake happens in California, will be on an island off of the coast of California. <laughs> That's funny. You're on the snowy side of the peak, then, not the rainy side. It's not I'm not on the ocean side. The ocean is 23 miles from me as the crow flies, no, and I there's a 4,500 foot between. I said the snowy huh? side, snowy side. Like it snows yeah. on your side of the mountain. It does. In the wintertime around Christmas, yeah. I will get a little bit of snow. I'm a, a typical, like um, German, in German they, Germany, they would have called me an Eiden a mountain farm. Okay. Awesome. And why? Where are you guys all located? 
I'm in uh, Oklahoma, just north of Tulsa, or in the Tulsa area, and then north of Tulsa. I'm in Southern Oregon in the Rogue Valley, Medford, Central Point area. Uh, I'm in Eastern Washington, kind of like right centrally located between Seattle and Spokane on I-90. <laughs> oh. yeah, I worked in Sunnyside in Greenview. Okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. I'm in Moses Lake, actually. You probably know where that's at, too. And I'm in the mm -hmm. southeast. I'm in the southeast. Hmm. And that's all you need to know. Totally off the subject, maybe of cannabis for a while. So you're you're kind of like a probiotic specialist. Is that kind of what you kind of really like? That's what your deal is, right? Yeah, um, I believe oh, in the. So I believe in right? <laughs> I like kombucha, but I would I would prefer a kvass. Okay, so what is that? I don't even know what that is. There you go. Um, a low alcohol lactic acid grain based beverage. I don't even know. Yeah, so where can you buy those, or where? What is? No, that? how do you make those? Is the question. No, no, no like so, can you buy them? Because I want to try one first. <laughs> okay. Um. So, the it's called K V or spelled K V A S S Kvass. Kvass. Okay. Uh, it's probably the most popular, popular drink in Russia. And um, here's a quick story. I when I was learning about Bokashi, one the reason why Bokashi didn't get popped is because, according to my group, there was a cultural disconnect. Yet everyone that I know wanted to pour beer out on their plant and share share that technology, that you know type of fermentation with their plant, and so I got my customer base past the cultural impasse by getting them uh, to relate the tea made from the Bukashi to being more like a Russian kvass than um, something like a, a a kimchi or a, you know. Okay. We, we just wow. we hadn't okay got people to understand the technology. What's well, all fermented? I think uh, we've gotten a lot. More. Yeah, because kimchi's fermented. That's why you know that's why you brought that up, right? Because it's fermented too. Yeah, we. That's one thing that all of our cultures have in common. All of our ancestors were using uh, fermentation before there was refrigeration. Right. 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 Canning. Yep. Canning. It's pretty neat that you bring I, that kind of stuff up. I mean, that's 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 kind of deep, you know. When you think about it, I mean, I yeah, I guess this show well, might. Well, not what the probiotic, what the probiotic farmers alliance is really, is three technologies taught so it could be popular: ancestry, critical thinking, and probiotics. That's what you'll get at the probiotic farmers alliance. What's the website? Just to show it, throw it out there right now. We'll ask again, probably, but throw it out there right now for everybody so they can go check it out during the show in case they want to ask a question. Well, on the website, it's a private group that you have Whoa. to ask uh, and answer some questions. 
to enter on Facebook, but fairly quickly we will be moving into a website be, uh, called Probiotic Farmer. It'll be on .org most likely when we do it. We'll see where we land though. Do you have an Instagram account people can follow you? I, you know, I just go under my name, uh, Alan Atkinson, or Alan. I, I I use my middle name, Alan Albin Atkinson, and I I don't hide. I just am who I am. My phone number's on every bag of Grokashi. No, oh, good man. Awesome! Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know what? I love people that are willing to put their face out there, their name out there. My name is Charlie. I did not fake it. That is my name. <laughs> What, where, where, I mean, what's the, so, uh, well, I was going to ask you, what's the best place to, you know, for everybody to get the best, uh, or, or to be able to buy quantities as opposed to just, uh, uh, wholesale. I mean, where can you buy it? What's the best, can you get it wholesale or can you only buy it yeah. in retail stores? Oh no. Uh, I do farm direct and direct to customers. The majority, even though I am in stores, most of my business is direct to customer. Um, reason being, I didn't want to deal with that Amazon trap, you know, where they jack your prices up or, or, uh, lower your prices so much that people don't want to carry it. So you go to growkashi.com, uh, with a, a hyphen between the grow and the kashi, G-R-O-K-A-S-H-I. And we send you two, two bags anywhere in the United States for 40 bucks. We cover the, the, uh, USPS priority delivery and I did that just so that the retailers couldn't mark the product up too much because a lot of these good microbial inoculants uh, they cost too damn much you see them on the shelf for 70 bucks or 120 bucks we wanted to be affordable 20 bucks how about that that's awesome that's yeah, so I'll buy, I'll, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go order some. You know, as soon as we get off the show, or tomorrow, either yeah. way, just to try it out. Because I'm, I'm going into regenerative. I'm doing. I'm build, build, building Hugel beds and and doing a lot of regenerative. I'm gonna try all the regenerative and KNF ideals and and what you've got would be a great thing to experiment with too. That goes right as far as I'm concerned. Goes right along with the whole idea of regenerative natural farming. You know, so. it's great to have. I mean, even if you make your your own stuff, it's a great to have on hand if you need need more or somebody hits you up for some. You know, like I can't tell you how many times I've made a batch of labs or something, and then you know somebody comes over and it's like, "Hey, can I get half of that?" And you're like, "Oh, well, you know, yeah," because I always say, "Yeah, right." Well, and, it only uh, takes a week to have that on hand. You can always just make another one, but yeah, you know, right. I need to use it too. So even though I make my own, if I like the one of the few inoculants that that I purchase has and paid money for has definitely been Grokashi and uh, EM1 through Terogenics, which I found out through Alan's group also um, would be another one that that I recommend on the regular basis. And so they're really flexible in in a lot of different ways too. Like I alternate feeding um i get them about maybe two times a week one to two times a week i feed my fish just the straight brand and uh, especially small fish that will just eat it right up um it's a great small fish food and uh cleans your tanks <laughs> they will, will never be cleaner as when you're you're dosing 
uh, or, or feeding with those. Um, water clarity just goes way up. You can use it in fermentations. You can use it in plant extracts. You can, you know, like there's just multiple different things you can do with it. You can just straight top dress it if you have soil or if you have dual root zones and aquaponics. If uh, if I'm ever transplanting plants, if I'm ever uh, restarting my uh, beds, my outdoor beds uh, from the winter time, and I want to really eat up some of the solids that have built up over the winter time because nothing's been growing in it, I'll turn my beds over with a, a little bit of uh, a brand just right into the media beds and uh, works great, helps break down all those solids and keeps you from having to really clean out your media beds a lot. Awesome. So highly recommend it. You know, I'll say that uh, the brand that, that we invariably on my drying tables, some of it gets on the ground. <laughs> and so we sweep it up. Uh, I take it and I put it in the creeks here. In my especially in my steelhead pools and currently we have the highest steelhead count uh, anywhere in this watershed in them pools so the big fish enjoy it uh, equally and you can eat them only problem with steelhead is the damn all leave me every year <laughs> right <laughs> i uh, i like agree depression. about small for small fish is because a lot of people like to use the pellet sized food which for really small fish sometimes can be difficult. They have to kind of gnaw on it for a while, right. um, as, especially when you're starting new ones. So, but because mm -hmm. the brand is so small, they can eat it right up, no problem. So um, anytime I, I'm starting a new tank or a new system with new fish, uh, you know, I, I feed them primarily. That keeps them nice and healthy and uh, really, really recommend it. Hey, have you ever seen the pictures that are out there? Uh of the uh, Bokashi bags uh, that we have underwater yeah. in the steel pools. Yeah, it's very cool. If you guys Those haven't, I've seen it. These steelheads, when the white mycelium, the streptomyces, which is a facultative microbe, so it could grow underwater, that it grows out of the burlap sack and these steelhead come up and they peck at it and they eat the mycelium right off of the bag. That's craziest cool. thing I've ever seen, but we've got the healthiest fish I've ever seen too. Yeah, well, Steve, was it the who was it that came on the um, was it Kentucky State of Kentucky University that was doing the study with? Yeah, University of Kentucky State did a labs study with labs, and they found that eliminated E. coli and Salmonella and a bunch of other pathogens, and mm -hmm. it made the fish go fifteen percent faster, and it made the Plants grow 18 to 20 percent faster depending on crop. Mm -hmm. Sure. Wow, that's amazing shit right there. <laughs> well, I think you're going to see this. Is, you're going to see. So the USDA is going to end up regulating aquaponics here in the near future. Um, They're they've been threatening to for a couple of years. They've been in at all the aquaponics association meetings for a little while. Um, and I think you're really going to end up seeing, you know, probiotics as part of a food safety program because, you know, how, what else is going to work really well in an aquaponic system aside from, you know, probiotics to guarantee that you're not having listeria and E. coli and salmonella and that, you know, if somebody doesn't, one of your employees doesn't wash their hands or something that it, and it ends up introducing into the system that you have a defense system to that active, you know, an immune system for your, for your, your aquaponic system. No, and really. you also want to, mm -hmm. well, 
I, I, I want you to go on, Steve, but I wanted to say that, you know, when you're talking about doing this with food, this is actually something we all believe there should be out there, this testing and regulation and to use the probiotics and all so that you get healthy food. And then I, I yield back to you. I'm sorry to inject. Mm -hmm. No, but I really think that that's going to end up being a regulation you know, in order to ensure food safety. Um, because again, not only that, it's cost effective. You know how cheap it is? You know, you, if you're dosing in a, in a maintenance dosage, one to 1,000, or if you have a, a, you know, a small minor pathogen issue, one to 500, or a major one, one to 300, you know, that's cost effective even for thousands of gallon systems. You know, you might maybe go get a pallet of milk, but that's still a hell of a lot cheaper than any other option you're gonna have. You're not gonna have to trash everything. And you don't have to worry about disconnecting it from the fish and worrying about, oh, we're putting a chemical in that's going to hurt the fish, maybe make the fish meat not sellable. If I'm going to sell it for, you know, if I say I'm going food fish, you know, there, there's no problem. I can treat the plants and, and not have to worry about, you know, the, the fish being harmed in any way. So this really is a way, you know, the safest and best option. You know, it really gives you a lot of, of freedom and not have to worry about a lot of stuff. And like you said, you know, you definitely don't want to use it relate in the flour. That can be a problem and extend it, but um, you know, aside from that, you know, uh, uh, it really is a, a really a wonderful thing to put in your aquaponic system, both in the water. You can put, you know, put it if you're doing pelletized food. You can have, you know, put it in a little container ahead of time with some water and some labs and, and soak the food in it, so it gets it into the, you know, the fish's digestive tract, and it'll help them grow faster. That's documented. You know, that's not just us saying that because we're we're excited about it. That's actually been studied, you know, by a university. So. That's, um, you know, that's uh, one of the really cool things about it. And that's supposed to come out next month, I believe, according to, to Joe. I'll have to ask him uh, who's talking to him today. So while we're talking about that, what about that conversation you were having with that guy about the flood area? Have you any more gone on with that? No, I haven't seen him. And then I've been like crazy busy. Okay. Well, I kind of figured, but I, I just didn't know. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. We're, we're under crunch mode trying to get all the plants moved up and get, get the outdoors set for the year. And we're, that's all going to happen in the next two weeks. And then finishing getting the greenhouse construction up, getting the nursery in as fast as possible, um, getting the sump house pumped out so that we can get tanks in because currently it's flooded. Uh, we got we to gotta pour that. Um, Why and, is it flooded, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> We've only had like 36 inches of rain in the last like month and a half. It's fucking Oh my gosh. Wow. No, I don't know if it was 36, but it's at least at least 25. That's for damn sure. Well, I assume you have, you'll have something set up for when it rains again, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have yeah. two big pumps that are going to sit at the bottom of that with a little, it'll have kind of like a, the way you don't have underneath your house. You know what I mean? If there's water, it starts to pool in it because we're down to the bedrock. You know, we went all the way down to the bedrock there, and it's it's an old river floodplain, so the the soil only goes down about eight feet before we hit the rock. So, yeah, that was a problem. So we we scraped it down as far as we could, but the problem is all the water when we get rain comes right into that hole because it's got nowhere else to go. And it's the easiest path for it to go so we have to pump it out but that's no big deal we're just going to pour some concrete put a little drainage to the bottom so we can pump it out and um you know after a year or two once we heal the soil a little bit we could probably even use that water to, to you know use for some other applications at the farm we, there was 
I'm so sprayed on it at the end of last year that we're going to wait uh, a year to, to remediate. We'd probably be okay to grow this year, but um, just to be on the safe side, I'm going to give it the 180 days. And uh, we're just going to heal the land this year, hit it with IMO, hit it with labs, uh, hit it with, um, uh, you know, uh, all the different things, uh, probiotic things, uh, you know, in the KNF methodology and uh, heal the, the a couple of different acres. And then, um, you know, set it up for both hemp and, and cannabis. And then we're going to put pots for this year. We're just going to do pots. So big uh, 100 gallon pots that we're going to have all the plant outdoor in. So that'll be nice. You know, have real, big, uh, real big plants. So, it's great you know, to see you adapted. So it's, I love uh, the way you adapted to going with the giant pots and then immediately bringing up the fact that you're going to reuse all the media from the pots next year to fill your hugel yeah. beds and all. Exactly. So you what know, we'll do yeah. is we'll grow out this year. We're going to put um, uh, weed barrier down. And, the, and we're going to put that down for our rows this year with the pots on top of that to keep the roots from getting into the into the soil because of what we talked about with the weed with the weed killer and um, the broadleaf killer actually. Well, any pathogens that came from the flood. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, that too. Um, but we that was underwater uh, where where it was. So um, and then what we'll end up doing is we'll once the season's over, we we'll, we'll work on building up wood over the course of the rest of the summer. And then we'll start building our hugels in between those rows. And then we'll just use that that cloth as our walkways um, so that we can walk around easily. And then what we'll do is we'll then build our hugels where the in between where the grassy area that we were using for our walkways previously. Um, and then we'll build our, our hugels right on top of that. And then we'll take those bags from this year with all those cover crop and put that right on top of the hugels along with some some uh, mushroom compost and some other stuff and that's truly regenerative organic growing right there the best yeah. can you guys tell me something go ahead what is the difference between a hugel culture bed and a cherokee mound farm <laughs> i love it i don't know what a cherokee my, my grandma was, was cherokee we we moved listen we moved from years broken like that we moved from broken bow air oklahoma and it when the dust bowl hit and my grandma it was full cherokee she ended up there after the trail of tears and such in oklahoma and she taught me cherokee mound farming we dug a hole we went around we found the sponge wood that had fallen during the winter and such uh, you know, uh, that we would use for hugel culture. We would put it in there, but in a round mound. And then we would put mushroom compost or soil on top of that. Uh, we would install, if you could, a way in and out for frogs, of course, down into the sub-irrigation, down into the, the wet logs. Um, but I don't see no difference in hugel culture and Cherokee mound farming. Just a few thousand years, that's all. Yeah, I mean, both of them make it so that uh, animals, they want to stand on a hill, especially uh, lactating mammals. So in the off season, they'll come stand on the mound, uh, you know, so they can get a good look around, uh, depositing their manure and their, you know, uh, lactations on top of the mound. And it seems like it's all just the same thing, but presented from two different cultures. I just looked it up. I Googled it real quick, even on the blind guy in the conversation. But it's the same thing. It's just big mounds. And you know what's funny? I'm German. You said you're German. 
it's a German oh, yeah. culture. It's a German culture. So it's funny. You got the, the Cherokee mounds and the Hugel culture is German. So you got both sides of the whole. It's just a mound. They build above ground. If you guys look at it, it's just built a big freaking mound. You know, I found it was interesting when I was down in Jamaica too. Like, so they would take 55 gallon drums and they'd take goat's milk or cow milk and fill them up about halfway. And then they'd take um, uh, sweet sop and sour sop and mango and, and other fruit skins and throw them in there. And, um, and sometimes other herbs or different plants, depending on what they wanted to get into the, into the, the cannabis. And then they'd, they'd fill it up the rest of the way and then they'd seal it up for two to four weeks and then they, they'd break it open and then they'd use that to, to make their cannabis taste better and and they and to heal the soil and, and all that. And I thought, man, that it was really interesting because it's so similar to like a, like a Jadam or even like a, a can of like a, some of the different more funkier labs uh, recipes that are out there. Um, and it was just really interesting to see how that same methodology was repeated, you know, on this whole island on the opposite side of the earth, you know. Mm hmm. And so some of this stuff has just been used over and over and over again. We just kind of moved away from it because of the World War II with the, all the chemical fertilizers. And now we're kind of gravitating back to it because if we don't, we're going to kill all of our oceans and everything else. Yeah. I think we're down to, they said in a TED talk earlier today, 10% of the mycorrhizae that was on the planet is here today. You know, if we don't if we don't start rebuilding the humus, yeah, who's going to? Yeah, and the peat bogs too. It's all of it. It's all. Yeah. I put a link in the in the chat for oh, no. uh, the YouTube chat and the per, in the in the in the uh, panelist chat, which uh, you can uh, with uh, shows the uh, Cherokee mounds, and you'll see that it's just a lot. It's like same thing. It's a very much like a large, well, it's a Hugel bed or whatever. So they, you know, they, they shared that technology or it came, whatever it came or whoever took it from whoever. But yeah, same kind of technology. Looks interesting. I, I think part of the Hugel culture was that you have a north side instead of a, where you build a greenhouse where it comes, the sun comes over east to west. You build a Hugel bed where it goes east to west. So that you have a north side and a south side, and the north side allows you to plant like uh, even in the summer uh, plants that you would uh, um, grow in the spring or fall, like beans and and peas and stuff like that. Such that like a cooler temperature on the dark side or the back side in the shade behind the tomato plants that are all on the south side of it. So that's what I'm getting from it. And yeah, that was that was awesome. You brought that up. I. I love that you brought that up because it now opens it all up for us again because you can go beyond what people have as Hugo culture and they can research Cherokee mounds and further maybe find more organic and old school, you know, just indigenous ways of applying um, what you find in, in, on the earth to growing food. Yeah, the, the Cherokee Mound Farm, the way my grandma taught it, making sure that the frog had a home, took it to a whole nother level because the frog becomes all, obviously part of your integrated pest management strategy, but then it takes back into its burrow uh, the manure from the insects it eats so that the root system and the plant can uptake the chitin 
and then that hardens up the plant toward insect attack. So how do you assure that you uh, get a to make it healthy for the frog then? If a frog is, uh, uh, in, you know, necessary to have that kind of situation and, and culture going on, how do you do that? What's the tricks to that, if there are any? She would just make sure that there was a two holes in the mount when you're building it, uh, you know, uh, whatever you had laying around so that the frogs could get in one side and out the other in case the snake come in the hole. Uh, and so that when the wind blew, that a bit of oxygen would get down underneath and, and blow through there too at the same time. Cool. So you could take your grandma. I'm, I'm lucky to have my grandma. You could you use a couple of PVC pipes. Or yeah, you could like do that. Yeah. She liked to do it that way. Yeah, with old pipe because she said too that uh, if she needed to, she could water down the pipe if it was a really dry year. Yeah. Ah, cool. So, in other words, inject water into the interior of the bed. Yeah, absolutely. Air and water can both go down through the, the two pipes. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, never, we never thought of the water thing, but okay. Yeah, so, and it could be horizontal. My over. grandma was horse of nature. <laughs> you could actually put some pipes horizontal and leave airspace, and then you could have vertical pipes as well, you know. Steve, well, she taught me, like, even if we were putting. Go ahead. Nope, sorry, go ahead. Well, she taught me that. Even if we were planting a plant in the ground, she'd put a pipe in the ground. And I would ask her why. And she said, well, not just so that the frogs and things could get in. But she said that often uh, people's biggest problems with growing plants was uh, one or the other, the husband or the wife would overwater. And so she would put a pipe in the ground. And uh, that way you could look down the pipe. And uh, if you saw water, you knew don't water. Uh, she She would... <laughs> have a piece of wood and use it like a dipstick and and would be like here's your dipstick you know stick it down in there if there's no water don't or if there's water don't water that's what i was digging for that, that was some of the old old secrets and so tara had a question i you know so well i don't know if steve already asked the question in chat amadeus had a question back up at 750s here Um, I don't know. Ask it. Does, does Alan top dress the earth box the traditional way, digging out the top and feed and repeating for the next round? I do. I top dress regularly because I feel that um, plants take cues. And so imagine we had two plants, right? One of them we kept top dressing, and the top dress uh, would signal the plant as if herd animals had been coming and going multiple times in the season. Uh, and you get a superior plant when you add mulch through the season, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Steve, you have any more? Uh, well, I mean, where do the plants grow the best? Next to the next to the game trail, or out where there is no game trail. I asked yeah. that question again, my friend. I'm sorry, I was talking. Where do the plants grow best? Right next to the game trail, 
or away from the game trail. Yeah, one would think they'd go by the game trail if you weren't a, you know, a yeah, a constant nutrient source, right? There's poop. <laughs> Common sense. Yeah. Got to open the gate for the wife. She'll be home in a few minutes. Mark, Marty, are you there? Did you get to, uh, Marty? Yeah, we call calling all Martys. Marty's there. Well, all right. I was gonna see how he was making out with his uh, temp project out there. Marty sounds really happy because Marty has finally got to move. And he's having a new place he loves. And and I tell you what, I'm happy for Marty. He's been going through a hell of a time with this uh, situation for a while. And I can hear it in his voice. And he's coming around more often. And I'm really happy for Marty. And a big shout out to Marty, you know, who's uh, dedicated himself uh, to, to, to help should, a lot of people. You know. What he should do is he should get super soakers and then go get, like, a couple gal like a couple a couple liters of those different terpenes that like real stinky weed terpenes and put them in super soakers and then just play <laughs> his neighbor's backyard. You mean at the old house? Don't like, like the night before just cart spray the entire backyard with them super heavy weed terps. Just as a fuck you and all yeah. It could be so funny. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, on the from the darker side. See, Marty's missing all kinds of fun things. We're talking about him, missing it. <laughs> so, uh, um, I guess we've, we've gone over. So, uh, I've been just working on getting the greenhouse up and running, making sure everything's been ordered, making sure nothing's been forgotten, making sure uh, we did. Um, I did a little video earlier today. We went and just stripped down. We had all of our different plants that we've had growing. We stripped down all the leaves that were growing off the main stems so that we could get the branches to, to grow. So they're going to bush out. Uh, you'll see. Um, shout out to Roger from Aquaponics. Quick delivery on the iron and a couple of other nutrients. And uh, we also got our liner through True Aquaponics for this whole facility. So uh, shout out to Roger over True Aquaponics if you're looking for for uh, good deals on liners and newts. He's got good stuff, so check him out. Um, he's also on Facebook. He's got a Facebook group. He helps out people with their problems, and he's uh, a good guy, so check him out. Roger's oh, a very good guy. friend of the show. Yep. It's also fun to hang out with me, him, and his yeah. wife. We get all the time every time we get together. Got thrown out of a bar in Texas. Oh, that's <laughs> supposed to tell them that. And I, 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 uh, I, I'm trying to root that uh, the uh, variegated plant that I got from Josh. Why? Because I think it's cool. Right, but you know, what? let me tell you what's gonna happen. It's gonna hey, become what? more and more variegated, and then it'll become all yellow, and then it won't be able to get any energy anymore, and then it dies. Really? I, I grew, yeah, I grew on out to completion. If you go back to my um, my YouTube channel, uh, and I have some videos from the, the aquaponics. You're just discouraging. <laughs> I'm telling you, it would grow maybe four or five more nodes, maybe maybe six more nodes, and then it would turn all yellow, and then 
it can't it doesn't make have any chlorophyll so it can't produce it can't keep growing anymore no way yeah well that's that's basic yeah yes. really yeah. yeah. It looks so cool. I thought it was going to be a cool plant. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll try it anyway. Well, you can grow it and take pictures, and it'll be cool until it dies. How about, can I just grow it? Can, can it ever be a house plant? Like, could you ever? Like, it'll, no, it'll just die. You really. There's no unstabilized any like streaking or anything that looks nice. Huh. Cannabis. But most generally, like, you wouldn't want that in the cannabis variety because it's going to produce less. Well, I know, but like, hey, there's going to be some people that maybe want a houseplant someday. It was like perfect. Yeah, look at the poinsettia market that out that out there that has all the variegated colors. What if I want to be the first cannabis florist that sells cannabis for Christmas or something? <laughs> the aquaponics source so used to. Uh, have a um, uh, an employee that worked in the shipping, and he just loved the way the cannabis smelled and loved the way it made it smell his house. So he had like grow lights randomly hanging in his house, like in the corner of the living room and in the hallway, in the corner of the kitchen, and like all over randomly in the house. And he had weed plants growing, and he just loved how it made the house smell and everything. And he didn't smoke; he donated them to local local veterans and stuff or whatever, and it was just really funny how like he had zero interest in smoking weed, wasn't a smoker. He just enjoyed the way it made his house smell. Like it was just really I, the first time the first time I walked into a grow and smelled it for the first time was so amazing. Like seriously, I was I was like, what was I? I think I was like forty two years old. So it wasn't very long ago. And oh my gosh. My friend says, it's going to stink. You're not going to like it. It's going to stink. And I walk in there and I'm like, where's the stink? I'm really confused. This smells amazing. Like, I loved it immediately. So, wow. Yeah, I could imagine him wanting it around your house. I would I, I would like that around my house if I could all the time. It'd be cool. You're muted. Maybe that, maybe that, um, uh, 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 that forever flowering one would be cool to have. Roger, you're totally muted, by the way. <laughs> On a podcast. Oh. Roger. Hi, honey. Roger. So we can hear you. Trying to talk to us. Oh shit! Okay, here's the thing. I figured out how to do your. You said you want to do a variegated plant for to give somebody for Christmas. So clone it, clone it, clone it, clone it until you've got something you give somebody for Christmas, and it'll die. You know, just like a poinsettia, or like if you uh, a Beaujolais Nouveau, which is a red wine that's only available from November to New, New Year. Poinsettias don't die if you. Well, I, well, I forget poinsettias. Just say you were wondering. I can't. It'll die. It'll die. So clone it, clone it, clone it, and then you could have a plant that's alive in the Christmas and the holiday season. You could give it to them at Thanksgiving. It would live through Christmas, and then it would die. <laughs> in, in Jamaica, they have poinsettia trees. 
Yeah, I'm not. No, not well. That's yeah. I didn't. And to make them, what did you say? Point feathers. Trees. Oh, trees. Yeah, pepper plants the size of trees too. There. Yeah, yeah, yep. you could. Peppers have actually grow naturally. Re, re. You know, you actually, if you keep the root zone alive during the winter after you harvest all your peppers at the end of the year, most people think that you, you know, the pepper's done just like cannabis. You can reveg cannabis, but that's not a necessarily natural. You can do it, you know, but it's a whatever. Uh, but on pepper plants. You can leave your pepper plants in the bags that you had them in or the pots or whatever if you have a, a nursery type, a hydroponic type situation. And at the end of the, if you keep the root zone watered slight, just not a lot, a little light nutrients and keep it alive during the winter, when it comes spring, you can start giving it some light nutrients again and they'll sprout new uh, stems and peppers and they'll revenge themselves. You know, um, I just found that out by accident because I kind of gave, I, when there came winter, I just let the plant go. Uh, and this was in hydroponics. I let the plant, I just said, okay, well, it's, you know, it's done. You know, I'll just let it die. And then next year I'll plant some more. And I left it there. I came out, I didn't even pay attention. And all of a sudden I came out in the spring and I had all kinds of pepper flowers and stuff like that on it. So, you know, plants are interesting and weird sometimes. Hey, maybe I could like sell it as like um, catnip. <laughs> You're crazy. <Not> for plants. <laughs> okay, now you know, now we've gone from the dark side to the weird. I don't know. Well, yeah, we love it though. We love the whole thing. I mean, so we've uh, we've just been uh, again did a bunch of defoliating today. I did a little video on that. Uh, trying to get ready for the big move and uh, trying to prep, get everything going. Trying to today, even trying to figure out what IPM schedule we're going to go with for the outdoor plants. You know, what insects we're going to release for outdoor. I haven't done an IPM schedule for an outdoor grow uh, that wasn't in a, uh, that you know wasn't in a greenhouse this big. So, plus dealing with the unique insects of uh, Oklahoma, which will be fun. <laughs> we have a already have a, a caterpillar uh, we have a few test plants outside and there's a caterpillar that seems to love to chew on cannabis but it seems like it chews on it and then disappears like it i don't know if it can't digest it or whatever but found a few eggs here and there eats it for a minute and then that seems to be the end of it that or the wasps are doing their job we have mud dabbers and they they seem to be doing a really good job of of hovering around. I've actually got a picture of what was up on Instagram the other day. A mad, mud dabber. Uh, uh, it's been helping protect the plants as well. So that, all, that always works good. Those are some people. of your best friends right there, those wasps. Yeah. Mud dabbers? Mud dabbers? Mud dabbers. Mud dabbers. Yeah, mine are the normal ones. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, but they and they don't bite you. Mud dabbers don't bite or sting you. They, they can, but they're they're pretty passive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hey, you want to warn it, sir. If you got some bees or some wasps that are a little aggressive toward you, spray them with the labs a few times. The oh, whole really? mess. Really? I found that it makes them docile. I'm going to leave it at that. Wow. Yeah, well, they're happy. They're probably happy, too. Yeah, okay. Wow, that's cool because I'm deadly allergic, and that's great for me. You know, because I'm going to always have labs very nearby 
anytime in my greenhouses and gardens from here on out. You know, are other people feeding their uh, their bees both IMN, IMO2 and, uh, you know, shelf-stabilized labs with high in sugar you know, uh, to help, help them out in the, when they're, especially the wintertime and the springtime when they're rebuilding the populations? That can be a great way yeah. to help keep them healthy. I've seen something else too yeah. that since you brought up bees, I saw something. There's two or three organizations that are putting out classes and stuff about how to raise bees. There's a real big movement that somebody has started. I'm I'm sorry I can't give you the exact you know information, but I have noticed that there's an uptake in the news cycle about places that are having classes where they're teaching people how to be beekeepers. And they're starting to go around and do that, which is something we really need. And even though I'm allergic, I've never have been stung in my greenhouse by a hornet or a bee. I've only, uh -huh. I almost died and I was super close to, I'm not going to go into it. I, I almost died. Let's just put it that I was very close to death from a hornet sting to my neck of several years ago, of maybe a couple decades ago. But in my greenhouse, when I was growing the food, and left even if i walked them and saw them they did not they were not um aggressive towards me which when you said the lactobacillus i mean if you're in your greenhouse they probably won't be aggressive to you because you're providing them food you know um, so well you know like uh, in the turkey, in the turkey houses and stuff the chicken houses when we clean them out we blow them out with the em1 or Bokashi uh, same stuff, you know, and uh, we kind of left them alone, and uh, all of a sudden, they just weren't a problem, and so when I started seeing them in my opened-ended greenhouses for mother plants and, and, and nurseries, I started leaving them alone, but I, I was spraying them with the uh, lactobacillus, uh, and I found that if you uh, I got to have a relationship with them a little bit, but I, I started noticing that if I had a any plant that was underneath of their hive at all would be the cleanest plant you've seen. And so I started taking uh, plants that friends would give me with mites and, and aphids and things like that. And I, I put it under that hive in the greenhouse and they will wipe out your mites and, and they will wipe out your uh, problems like aphids immediately on a plant. Uh, you'll see them down there, the smaller ones, even crawling around on the plant. Yeah, and they're not attacking you because they're comfortable. No, no. You. It's a weird symbiotic. I, I, I think symbiotics, there's a weird relationship when you actually grow, have a big garden or a big greenhouse and, and you run across wasps and hornets and bees, the difference in the way you would if you stuck your hand somewhere out there in the wild. You know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. They don't even seem to be interested in you, really. You know, I mean... And I just tried to do I ran into uh, my first uh, Texas brown tarantula this week in the garden. That, that was, uh, I didn't realize that America had tarantulas that were that big. I was, I've seen them that big in South America. I didn't realize we had tarantulas that got quite that big. Must How be big was it? Yeah. She was, she was larger than my hand. Like maybe, maybe about the size wow. of my hand. Really. Would be a good, a good size. Yeah, about the size of my hand, with her legs out. She was huge. 
the you're in Oklahoma now, things are bigger in Oklahoma and then even bigger in Texas. You know, I don't know. So the, the females <laughs> could live yeah. for 50 years old and the males live for one year. So that's true for most tarantulas. So did you pick it you up? You moved to Oklahoma? Yeah, I moved to Oklahoma. I got a big, uh, big grow up up here. From where? Uh, I was <laughs> all over. I was in Cali and Colorado and and uh, all over the place. Oh. But uh, yeah, got, got all set up up here. We got a nice big big place to grow. We'll be doing hemp and outdoor and and aquaponics. It'll be great. It's a new industry there in that state. Fairly new, right? Oh yeah, but if you if you grow quality, like right now, quality pounds are going for twenty eight hundred to three thousand right now on the market. So for outdoor, yeah, greenhouse. Well, for anything, anything that's good quality with a good cure on it, really. Yeah. So, All right. Average average price uh, at wholesale because we 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 have a, a, a dispensary, so. Most of the stuff we're buying is between twenty three hundred, yeah, two two thousand to to twenty four hundred. I would say is the vast majority of what we're buying um, right now. We're we're not quite ready to to bring some harvest in yet. We're still bringing our main facility online, so finishing up construction. Where we did an episode from there on on uh, Tuesday. So, but uh, but yeah, so that's what pounds are going for in, in, in Oklahoma right now on the market, the legal market. Uh, rosins and concentrates are going from between thirty and forty dollars a gram wholesale. Um, yeah, and then if, again, if you have anything that's actually like real high quality, it's going for for much higher than that. Can go for much higher than that. I've seen people get as high as four thousand for a pound of of stuff that was just really really primo. And, and you know, people are getting it on the shelves and it's selling out. You know. It's interesting. It's a very strange market. There's a ton of trash, though. We have people that bring us stuff all the time and uh, at the store, and most of it's garbage. Like, no cure, no smell, or smells like grass, you know. Yeah, it's weed, but, you know, they didn't know how to grow weed. It's just weed. You know, they, you know, kind of funny. So it's been very, very different. Yeah, it won't be long before you won't really need to have input from other people at the store, will it? No, we're going to be able to supply about 82 pounds, about 80 to 100 pounds a month out of our facility. With staggered harvest, obviously, it'll be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending on the week. So, most people ruin it during the cure. Yep. Yeah, that's the, basically we've had a bunch of stuff. We've got a couple people that brought us stuff that was so fresh that like we just cured it <laughs> and it came out really nice, but it was just because they probably chopped it like the night before they brought it down <laughs> as best I could tell. So it was perfectly fine, you know, but still over 60% humidity. Like I'm going to take it and cure it, but if it's got a, if it's got good potential and it's, and it's the right genetics, we got a good, Good initial smell. I'll take a chance on it. We, yeah, if it's 
Pace. You discounted according to the fact that you're going to lose so much weight out of it. How do you explain the discount on that, Steve? Well, no, no, no. We have a we have two growers that we, we really, really, really like. And uh, sometimes we can get stuff a little bit quicker that way. Um, and make sure that we have it on the shelf as soon as we can get it on the shelf. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the one. There's one down, oh, no, near, yeah, um, yeah. down near Oklahoma City that's growing really, really good organic herb. We've been getting them on the shelf. I can't remember that. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I get the name of it before the next episode. Do you mind if I ask your grow your drying technique? Uh, we're going to be doing our our we're going to be doing all, mostly aquaponics, and then we're going to be doing uh, living soil. Uh, drying technique. What's that? Oh, drying technique. Drying technique. Uh, yeah, so we've been putting them in um, uh, big tough totes, like the big uh, kind you get from Home Depot. And then we get the big giant, um, uh, like, like a giant bag buddy, but it's four of these tough totes. And we tape those. We basically put a, a square of duct tape on the bottom of the lid, put them in there, and then that drops it down. Uh, and then they're inside of a giant refrigerator. Um, you know, it's a walk-in refrigerator. And that's pretty simple. Works easy. So you're hanging them in the tubs and then putting them in the tubs in the fridge. Yeah, that's, okay. how, we're, that's how we're gonna do it on the, in the new spot. Currently we're just putting them, we don't have them in the fridge, we just have them stacked up in a back room, which is still pretty cool. Still in the 60s. But uh, this way it drops the temperature down and we can, what well, we start off with like a 60% and then drop it to a 35 uh, and then they're good to, you know, good to go. You must have a really low relative humidity there then. Yeah, we don't. No, not now. Not now. Not um, currently. Not with the floods. It's been soupy. Red dirt. Thank you. Red dirt sun grown. That's the name of the company in, in Oklahoma. <laughs> very good weed. Very good fire. There, there. We got some very, very, very good stuff from them uh, for the dispensary uh, down at uh, Kind Alternative in Glenpool. If you're looking to check that out. Definitely go uh, go get some if you're in Oklahoma. And uh, we're actually going to be working on uh, getting an education space going, finishing getting that set up in the back of the dispensary here, and, and uh, hopefully even get Alan to come down and do a talk uh, on uh, probiotic soil growing and try to start doing uh, little educational seminars. Um, you know, we're going to have to limit them to maybe 50 or 60 people. Um, but, um, you know, get, get well, some of the local Oklahoma people to, to really get, well, actually, we could probably do a little bit higher than that. But anyways, it's going to be no more than 100 at most, 125. We have a nice little space in the back, about 1,200 square feet, um, set up for an education space. And uh, we're going to start doing seminars and bringing in people and try to educate people in Oklahoma because there's so much garbage information and so much ridiculous shit that I keep hearing out here. And we need to start bringing in some people that can help these guys and steer them in the right direction plus it'll help us meet some some more cool you know breeders and growers in the local area that we can get some some amazing fire in our shelves so uh kind of help i give you an idea go ahead interview top agents only interview and when i say a top agent what i'm saying is a top agent is a person who has held the top price point in the different clubs in an area for a length of time Oh, right now, right now, most nobody's had enough harvests to even. 
I know, but you can interview top agents that are experts are from other regions like the Emerald Triangle. Interview the people that have the uh, the track record in place of success. You know, oh, yeah. we've been working with. Um, uh, oh, well, no, I can't remember Matt from. Um, can't remember the name of the group. He's a damn pure farmer out near Oklahoma City. Been working with him. We're going to be getting some stuff from him as soon as this stuff's available and uh, some other great stuff. Um, we had a question from chat. It says, Alan, what is your drying process? Yeah, what you do with the plant from the time that you cut it down. Good good question for Alan. Yeah. yeah they're My drying process? Yeah. My drying uh, process is controversial. My process is a slow version of flash drying, and a lot of people say that my drying process would kill the terpene values. And I would say, I'm one of those guys that has held the top price point in a top club in the Emerald Triangle for over two years, and I dry my weed the way that potpourri manufacturers dry potpourri. Nobody knows about bag appeal like the potpourri industry when it comes to terpenes. So, in my opinion, people who haven't tried techniques from the potpourri industry are missing out and really not giving credit to those people and their knowledge on locking terpenes into a botanical product. That's a nice little tip you just gave everybody if they're listening. Hell yeah. You understand what I'm saying, right? Nobody knows better how to dry botanicals. Than the freaking potpourri industry. It it's one of the good, yeah. And make if you ever go to the cup in Amsterdam, go on the tour of the potpourri industry. So, so so if somebody didn't know about the potpourri industry. What exactly is is it? Look, I don't really know. Actually, I I was really curious to know. Dried flowers that smell good in people's houses. It's like the little bags you put in your bathroom you know? so your bathroom doesn't I, I know what potpourri is. I'm well, sorry. But so like, what, what exactly is Alan's, Alan's technique in drying? Like, what is actually his process that, like, he really believes in? Because he's like, because he, earlier he made the comment of most people ruining the drying, you know, the curing process, right? Do you have a pencil? Oh, it's that long. Okay, never mind. <laughs> well, can I can I help you here, Tara? I think I can. Oh, <laughs> I, I think I can help here. Well, I think where would where would you go to start out if you wanted to discover the way that they dry potpourri? I'll where just tell you, you my way. Find that information. Um, potpourri tours in Holland and Amsterdam. Right, and, or just Google it, right? Popper, how to, how to, you know, uh, get it. Yeah. And in this day and time, you know, you can learn it. Yeah, so I'll tell you my technique. It'll take me about a minute if you if you let me tell you. There you go. Okay, so remember this. Uh, I live in a rainforest. So my trying technique is going to be a bit different than a person who lives in Sonora. So... Uh, and this technique that I will tell you, I used every month for 10 years. And I was able to use it in the hottest months of the summer and in the snowiest parts of the winter. And so here's my technique. 
you cut the plants down, you bring the plants in, you hang the plant, you turn on fluorescent lighting over the top of where the drying cannabis is hanging, and you turn on ventilation fans for the first 48 hours, full on, blowing the air, whatever air is outside, right through the drying area. After 48 hours, I would turn off the fluorescent lighting in the room and I would reset the thermostat to uh, a temperature of around 91 or 92 degrees. The same temperature we would use for vapor pressure deficit, you know, to get a plant to, to uh, sweat a lot. Wow. And I would install a heater in that room so that it would fairly quickly bring up the temperature of the room to the thermostat to about 91 degrees. And so it's popping on and off. You hear what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. So the temperature comes, the exhaust fan blows air through the room, and that cycles on and off. I would keep that going until when I went in the room and I audited the room, every single stem that I would try to crack, crack. Now people are going to get too dry, whatever. I would at that point turn off the heaters and I would shut the room down completely. Now my rooms are made out of CDX, so it's a cedar room, understand. At the end of that period, I would go ahead, you know, everything's what we call popcorn fart dry at that time. I would go outside <laughs> at dark every night. I would go outside at dark and I would use the night air and the humidity level of the night air. All I would have my fans blow the, the cool night air through the room. And I'm at this point now I'm, I'm monitoring my humidity and I do that all night long. This, this drying process is going to take you about a week for say 20 pounds. So we, we blow that night air through there until uh, the dawn or the daybreak, we turn the fan off and we're going to go into that room and we're going to check the humidity gauge as if the room is a humididor. And when that room, after you've blown the night air through it about three nights, maybe the fourth day, in the middle of the day, you're waiting to see that humidity stay at 60%. Bring it back to 60. Then you'll go ahead and take those plants down once that happens. Put them into your, uh, your buckets and, and take them directly to your trimmer. And go ahead and trim it at that point. So the key is you're waiting for it to balance out where you see it over a period of time that it stays at 60% humidity, which means the plants aren't changing anymore. Right. When I can go in there when it's been still all day long, you know, no fans or nothing in the room and the humidity gauge is staying at 60. Perfect. Then I'm done. I if, love if, the humididor. The, the cedar cedar room humididor that's well why we wouldn't awesome. we're going to treat this like a high-end cigar right yeah i mean but no it's just great that you actually did it and you, know, you explained it that way because that that is killer man everybody you know you realize like 500 people tomorrow are going to be going out and pricing cedar <laughs> well just call call the tough shed company and have them do it in cdx <laughs> i love it i love it that's great Cedar's also good for your IMO boxes, so gives it two well, reasons. Yeah. 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 You can That's probably, if you're in the south, 
cypresses of the wood similar to cedar where it doesn't it what, what it is is the difference between cedar and cypress and other woods is it doesn't decay it takes a long time to decay you know which is why you don't use it in hugel beds you know yeah what kind of, what did they build them barns in uh in tobacco country out of the uh the drying barns in tobacco country, well, you know, it's hard to say. I'm probably it, it could be anything because usually they would use whatever was available on the property. And down here, I know tobacco barns. You know, I would say it could be oak. Um, we have maple, oak, and um, and there, of course, there's a shitload of pine everywhere. But um, it, you know, it depends on it where when you're talking in the south or you're talking in the mountains like Tennessee. They would have cedar and stuff like that and then in, uh in carolina through the gulf of mexico they've got a lot of cypress and cypress yeah. worked but basically a man like i know where they I, I live amongst where plantations were and they've got a lot of uh oak and a lot of maple and stuff like that but the thing is is it was so readily available at that time they weren't really worried about um longevity because they could always replace a board if they had to kind of thing yeah. you know so they just built these uh, aerated it's kind of like it's interesting because the way since you asked the way you cure tobacco i see i would love see that's why i can't wait till one day maybe you know uh in my area i could do this because when they cured tobacco they just built a, a shed and they put vertical slabs with about a half inch between very similar to how you build an IMO collection crate. You don't yeah. close it up tight. You leave half inch between every slat. Or and then some people say, "Well, you got to drill a bunch more holes." And you know, I I don't know. I you know, I guess you could do whatever you want to. I just don't want a bunch of rice falling on the freaking ground. So you know, so exactly. So what so I, I did, I, I, I split two technologies. I split the. I lock my terps in like we're doing potpourri and then I finish cure it like we're going to blow out the humidity and, and get it right on the tobacco. And I mean, I just thought, why wouldn't I treat this like, you know, the best tobacco? I love it. Yeah. That's cure, it, cure, it, cure it like Doha. Huh? Uh, you know, if you know Doha? No. Doha is, um, it's a halal uh, tobacco, and it's just like the bottom quarter inch or eighth of an inch of, of the tobacco leaf, just the newest growth tips. Huh. Um, yeah. But it's grown halal. It's very, very strong, extremely strong. Yeah. Yeah. I had to fine turn and tune and learn my technique quickly because... I literally, I live in a rainforest and El Nino cycle was happening. So, you know, you either figure it out or you're out of business. Well, that's also a great reason for the cedar, you know, the cedar too, because yeah, it doesn't, it just doesn't hold the moisture and rot out like any other wood would. Uh, so it makes it easier for you to control the humidity in that respect. Well, and I would say make sure that, you know, pining and things like that are very favorable in the cannabis world. So make sure that any terpenes that are going to be, you know, in input or imparted by the building into the drying flower are acceptable terpenes. No, nice. nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, 
So, is there anything else you wanted to, to tell our viewers uh, before we wrap up the show there, Alan? No, I probably said too much already. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell everybody how to find you and uh, how to find, if they want to get some Grokashi, we talked a lot about that, how they, how they can find it. Um, well, my name's Alan Albin Atkinson. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, find my group on Facebook and Probiotic Farmers Alliance. You got to jump through a couple hoops to enter, but it's a great community in my opinion. Uh, and you can find Grokashi at gro-kashi.com. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid if you're a farm uh, of the price point because, you know, bulk orders are considerably cheaper. We love working directly with farms. Hell, uh, we'll even come out if you pay for the travel and teach you and the boys how to make it if it's a big enough farm, because you'll have to use something like a silage uh, technology to scale this thing. But you could do it with your waste product, you know, the parts of the plant you're not gonna use. We can chop that up and make a silage slash bokashi out of it. You put it back on your fields about, you know, every year and you could monocrop sugarcane with this technology. Wow. Sugarcane goes great down here. Yeah. Awesome. I'm just saying, for instance, that you know, sugarcane normally tears the land up, eats it up pretty fast. But you're you're remineralizing the soil with your product. You know, we could maybe add a little bit of biochar to it and even even soup it up a bit oh. more. But the other great word, biochar, silica, and grokashi. Yeah. yeah. The other one that works good yeah. with that is uh, the rice husk, rice husk, fermented rice husk, rubri and silica. Yeah, that's becoming to play a lot since uh, you know everybody's really. Yeah, it's so great that everybody's reaching out and looking at every people are young guys. I know some young fellows that are so smart, and uh, you know. Uh, and and they they research and read everything, and they are all over. And of course, you know, uh, and and it's it's not the information's out there. And when they when things that are brought up, um, I love to see that there's a community of people that are listening. And and then you go talk to them, and they're saying, "Wow, what we heard on the show last night, we went and researched it, and uh, you know, uh, and they come up with their own." scientific ideas about it you know it's getting pretty wild uh just all the sharing you know um again sharing you know and and i'll give a shout out to marty who who did leave earlier but i was going to ask you about that too because i know you're doing aquaponics but you know I, and i guess it was it would have been a stupid question actually because i lost sight of the fact that you do aquaponics and i was going to bring up the idea of how safe it is for the fish the gokashi and everything and then Marty brought all that up and talked about the exact same uh, ideas I was thinking about. So pretty awesome. The importance of water quality seems to be what brought us all together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if we're lucky to have water like Tara's got good water, I've got I've got a well as I've got a well as well. You know, um, I've got good water. Uh, it's neutral and 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 you got your your stream or well you know whatever uh or your your well no your springs right didn't you say it was springs 
you know what, like as farmers, I would say this to you, that um, all of our ancestors, if they went into a new area and it had sketchy water, they would ferment the water. You know, you do that to feed your crop, too, if you got bad water. Because you never know when them damn Romans threw a goat in the well. Like, it's like the Budweiser where they have the rats in the uh, fermentation tanks and they now they put meat in there but they ended up discovering that meat in the fermentation tanks actually changes the flavor for the better but originally it was because of rats well Budweiser tastes like shit also who oh cares? yeah I know but I'm just saying that there's certain alcohols that are brewed with meat for, for a certain for that reason Huh, I got to try one of those. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, Guinnesses and vegan. They use fish skins, fish bladders. Um, oh, I've tried almost every beer, man. I'm a, I'm a really old bouncer, and so uh, <laughs> we would all try a new beer every night, pretty much. Places I work claim to fame as they than everyone. Wait a minute! I just saw a ponytail. That's not a fucking ponytail. That's my hair up. Um, so, uh, Tara, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? I am on Tara Lee Live on YouTube or Instagram. And I am going to be going live this weekend. I just found out and got word I'm going to Kaya's. So I will be at Kaya's and we'll be checking about KNF. And Hubby's going to, we're going to, Hubby's going to take me over and pull the camper. So we're camping. Here we go. <laughs> is he uh how's he is he enjoying the cannabis classes now? Yeah, actually I think he's had a lot of fun with you guys. Yeah, he I think oh my gosh, you guys got him so high in that room though. Hot box that room, my husband uh, all weekend. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt this. But look, all right, me and Alan are going to have a hair fest off. We're going to have a hair off. You know, so. Oh, my. All right. All right. We both let our hair down now. So, yeah. yeah I, I thought in Steve, too. I will win this contest because I'm the first guy to pull out a broadsword on your show. <laughs> yeah. See, I saw it. See, but I saw it. I said, not, you know, I didn't see that. And then all of a sudden, when you just made a comment and you turned a certain way. And I said, you know what? He's got his hair pulled up. You know, we all try to, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I would, uh, Steve, I've all been right. on the show and, uh, what, uh, do you want me uh, to shut up, Steve? No, no, I'm just saying we're, I'm trying to wrap the show up because I got I to gotta get going. Well, yes, yeah, I'm into a hair contest. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah, we didn't want to be entertaining or anything like that. So. <laughs> Put my so, fucking hair back up. Yeah. So, uh, what, uh, what, how do people find you, Roger, if they want to hang out? Well, you guys know I'm from ilovegrowingmarijuana.com, and you can catch me at Facebook. Although, you know what? I got to go with Steve and a lot. Oh, man, I'm Facebook coming up with some more shit today. Uh, a different kind of like admins are gonna be able to see something, whatever. It just probably means you're gonna be further screwed. But uh, Roger Latewood at um, Instagram or Facebook, and I really don't, I don't really put a lot of input up there yet because 
I'm just did that so people could contact me. Um, but you catch me at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com, and I'm I'm fixing to uh, uh, go to. Uh, I can't believe it, I feel like the Beverly Hillbillies now. Um, uh, yeah, I'm fixing to go. I'm fixing to. I'm fixing to start me a new account somewhere, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, I'll give you that information soon. And even though all the information I give you, it's not posted in the, in the area below. We've got one email from me, but I got a new, I got some new stuff. coming up. And, uh, and Alan, I tell you what, Bubba. Yeah. You're a cool motherfucker. I, I, I want to know if, uh, if there's a way, uh, you know, if, if we turn the show off or whatever, I'd like to sit here and, and then get your contact information because I'd like to ask you some questions, you know, just face-to-face uh, -face if you had the time or you're willing. Sure, yeah. Um, Artie and Steve both have my contact information. Uh, I got to let you go tonight, though, because the wife's home now and I'm cooking uh -oh. dinner. Uh -oh. yep. right. Dinner's ready. We're wrapping up. <laughs> okay, well, thanks. Thanks again. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate you guys. Cheers. Yeah, man. Money. And uh, you can find me at Poem Ponics on YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, all the different places, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, uh, WeedTube, I don't know, other places, lots of them. Um, <laughs> I'm tired. I've been up for many hours. I was in the sun for part of the day. I'm ready to go to bed. So we'll catch you guys again uh, on Tuesday. I got some really cool guests lined up. Um, uh, Colin Bell from uh, Mammoth P is going to be on. Talk about his new um, uh, uh, pest management. Uh, we're going to have Harvey Smith from mm -hmm. MBA University. He's going to be coming up here soon. Um, who was the other? I talked to a couple. Oh, uh, Jeff Lowenfeld is going to be on the show soon again. Talk about autoflowers. So uh, and I got a couple of other people I've been talking to uh, on the show. So I do apologize for a little bit of a lull. Um, trying to get back into the swing of things while doing major crunch time out in the farm. Um, so I do apologize for a little bit of the of uh, a little bit of slow period for the show. But uh, we will be back uh, raging with some really awesome guests here uh, in the next uh, next week. So. Uh, we will see you guys again soon. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Bye. Yep, thank Good you. Night. Please hit subscribe and uh, and like if you enjoy it and uh, share it with your friends. If you take care. And all guests are awesome. <laughs>